Thanks for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. You've tuned in to After the Show Live with Speak LA, where you get to ask your questions. Today, we have prolific actress Leslie Nickel from the epic drama Downton Abbey. Yeah. Woo. All right, let's take some questions. Hi. Yes, yeah. I do. Um, so my question would be, how would you say working as an actor mm-hmm. in Europe compares to working as an actor in California? Ooh. Well, do you know, a lot of it's the same, I think. Um, I mean, when I came here, I got some, I, I sort of did some guest spots on TV shows, and I was very anxious about it because I thought, what if it's all completely different and I don't know what I'm doing? But actually, it's incredibly the same, except you guys do much longer hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my Lord. And especially those ones in, um, I did two in Vancouver. I did Supernatural and Once Upon a Time. Um, you know that thing where you get to Friday and they call it Fratterday? Do you know that? <laughs> where they're so late, because as the week goes on, it gets later and later, the call gets later and later. So on Friday, you start at 12 or 1, 1 o'clock, and you're still on set at three o'clock in the morning. And I can't remember my name at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so so that, that's a difference. But in, I mean, actors are, I think actors are the same the world over, really, in, in many ways. Um, there are slight cultural differences here, I think. But, but I, I still very ha- I feel very happy to be in a, in a group of actors. It's my tribe, and I think it's the same the world over. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what is your favorite hint or trick that you use, in, either in terms of on-camera performance or auditioning, uh, just like a little thing that you like to do? Ooh, uh, a hint or a trick. Um, well, actually, I'm sorry to be boring, but the thing I would go back to, because it must be in my brain currently, the thing about listening, mm-hmm. I do think it's something that you can forget to do. Um, and for lots of reasons, you shouldn't. So, yeah, as for nerves and also just to, to be pure, with, you know, to make the work proper, you should, you should definitely always listen. And I, think, I don't think it matters who you are or, or how experienced you are, you can forget that. Um, tricks, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Sorry, I'll put that in the back okay. of my head. Yes. I wish I had a bag of them, but I haven't. <laughs> That's good. Uh, with the advancement of uh, green screen technology or blue screen technology, uh, how do you keep your focus when you're essentially acting with nothing in front of you but a ble- blue or a green screen? Right. Um, I haven't done that very much. I, in fact, I haven't done... Yeah, I did, actually. Once upon a time, there was green screen. But the only, the, 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 years and years ago, there was a, there was a series of the Narnia books, you know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and I was um, in the silver chair playing the giant queen, which was quite good fun. So I got carried around in one of those beers by this. I was this great, huge queen. And I was talking to the actor Tom Baker, who's very much taller than me, but he was actually not there, and he was a doll. Well, he wasn't even a doll. He was a stick with a sort of carrot on the top. Um, and that was my first big experience of talking to something that doesn't exist. And I just think you have to... I haven't got any magic answer to this. I think you just have to create your own reality, I suppose, and as best you can. And I don't know what else you can do, really. But it's, a, it's funny, I was supposed to be doing a motion capture movie just now, and they just cancelled it. 
which is really... I mean, I was three weeks away. I'd been for the fitting and everything, for the motion capture suit and the dots on your face and everything. And I was really looking forward to it because that is a whole new world, isn't it, that most of us won't have. I mean, has anyone done it here? Have you? Well, I mean, there's no training for it, is there? I mean, God knows what you're supposed to do. But I was actually really looking forward to it, you know. Um, and I love the fact that it would capture you you know, that, that, that they somehow translate that into an animation. That seems an amazing thing. But that's a whole new world that presumably we're, we're going to have to deal with at some point. And hopefully, well, in fact, most of the cast, as far as I know, so Andy Serkis was going to be in it, and he's the king of it all, isn't he? He's, he's your man. But the rest of the cast had never done it before, so I guess they just have to give you some tips. I mean, because <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, is there anything from your theater training that you still do or touch back on or think about in between jobs or before jobs to prepare? Um, it's funny, before you finish that question, what my mind went to immediately from my training was always pick up your costume. <laughs> I really do want to say that, you know, when I'm with young, young actors who are maybe just straight out of drama school or very new, it's that stuff that really matters to me now, you know, that we were taught, you know, these people aren't your servant, they're not your slave. You pick your costume up, you hang it up. That's the classy thing to do. You don't drop it and expect somebody to, to you know, be, be your nanny or something. Um, as far as going back to training, to be honest with you, I had, I suppose, a, a classical training in a sense, but I honestly think you learn more. I learned more. I think we learn more on the job. It gave, gave me a basis. I mean, I did all kinds of things I've never used. Stage fighting. I have a certificate. <laughs> Great. Fabulous. I did a lot of work with fans. I'd never used to fan. <laughs> well, I have actually last year for the first time. Um, I think you, you learn so much from your other actors and as you, as you, as you work, I think that's, that's where you really start learning the bones of it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say, Jen and Camille, those were such great questions and I, I think it was very gracious of you to not just constantly ask questions about Downton Abbey. And I want to say, I'm not that gracious. So I'm, I'm, I very much like the woman in the, in the your, your agent wanted to know a little bit, little bit more about fucking Mrs. Powell. Uh, the, Whatever you want to know. Put, put that, put the quotes, put the commas in quotes. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, that was a, a life changer for you. Yes. And you mentioned that it happened in your fifties and it's just, yes. I'm 50 and it's just, oh my God, yeah. that's such a, it just, it's such a, beautiful chord for so many people. And I'm gonna ask a somewhat personal question. How did your life change? I mean, what were the things that were, you know, transformative for you when that happened, both professionally, both for the things you could now afford to do to, you know, as much as you will tell yeah. us. No, that's a, that's a great question. It's got about 9,000 answers, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, professionally, um, well, I came here. We wrapped Downton August, 2015 and we moved here my husband and I moved here partly encouraged by my agent in London saying go and have a look at that but I mean I I did go around this town and I I got into all kinds of people's offices 
which had not happened 20 years ago when I came somewhat hesitantly with no confidence whatsoever, asking for nothing, and I got nothing <laughs> because that's what I asked for. This time, I was able to meet all kinds of odd people, marvellous people, but J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams came to our set and was in tears. Now, I didn't meet him that day, but I met him here, and, and I knew that he was doing a Star Wars, and my husband's a huge Star Wars fan, and I just was cheeky, and I said, so you're going to England to do Star Wars uh, in a couple of weeks? He went, yeah, and I said, huh, I bet that'll be a closed set. And he went, well, yeah, yeah, pretty secret. And I went, huh, so no visits there then. And he went... <laughs> <laughs> he kind of understood what I was saying. And I said, is there any... He went, of course. In fact, he was so gracious. He said, you can come to any set I'm on in the world, is what he said. Oh, my God. That's what, a, what an adorable man. But my husband, Jesus, I mean, he's never been so excited in his, in his entire life. <laughs> so, so I've met weird and wonderful people as a result. Now, I'll just go back to the, meeting, the meetings here, by the way. I would say, this is something I feel very strongly about here, um, Everybody was nice to me. I mean, bloody hell, I just sat there thinking, well, if a quarter of these people give me a job, I'm done for life, I'm great. And it didn't happen, actually, because I think people here are genuinely gracious, and they were, and generous, in that moment. And then I realised it didn't necessarily translate into next week. Not that they meant any harm by it, but that's what I began to realise. They, they meant it at the, at the time. But there's thousands of us here. <laughs> so so um, that was a bit of a sort of, whew, a big one for me to understand. But in terms of life, um, it has meant that I'm better known. Therefore, I, I got offered, I mean, one of my jobs last year was, was Annie in Toronto playing Miss Hannigan. They only gave it to me because I'm somebody that's, that people know in Canada now. But they didn't. Nobody knew I was in Canada eight years ago, but they do now. So that just came in my lap. I did a quick eight weeks in Toronto. Thank you very much. Because the, before that, I'd been at a theatre in London called the Donmar Warehouse, which is wonderful, but pays about $3 a week, you know, and that's great to do, but you need to pay your bills. So, so that bigger, higher profile has got me into that kind of thing. And then on the other side of it... Um, I've become more involved with animal welfare, which I wasn't before at all, not at all. But suddenly you realise, and, and it was a thing with the, the Downton cast, we all had our different charities, and I'm associated with one called Animals Asia, where they rescue moon bears in China and Vietnam. And um, all the cast of Downton got it very quickly that if, if, you, if we were to get together and help each other out with our charities, you could fill a room and you can make some serious money. Then, not forever, but right then at that time. So I got involved with Animals Asia because I heard, well, I saw it on Twitter, actually, is what I did. I saw moon bears and I got completely, I don't know, they just blew me away, this, this terrible cruelty that's happening there. And um, somebody said to me, 160 million people in China watch Downton Abbey. So I got, I know, Work that one out. That's weird, isn't it? So I got in touch with them and I said, can I be of any help? And they went, well, yes, actually, because actually they, they might know who you are. 
So I flew myself out there, and that has become a huge part of my life. And, and it works both ways. It's not just you giving. I would never have met a moon bear. I love the people there. It's been an amazing experience just going out there and being part, being on a sanctuary and, and learning about all that stuff. And, and so it goes on. I'm going to Philadelphia in a few weeks because there's an amazing group of people trying to, to deal with puppy mills, you know, the, the terrible cruelty involved there. Well, if I can go there for an evening and it makes a difference that people buy a few more tickets, that makes you feel pretty good, actually. You know, it's a two-way street. I will be helping them, but it makes you feel good that you can actually do that. That's just a byproduct of an amazing piece of luck that happened to me professionally. But there's a whole raft of other things that have happened by the side that make your life richer, you know, much richer. So it's, yeah, it's all quite good, really. <laughs> Except when you have a shit year and then you think, oh, it's all gone to pieces. <laughs> um, I'd like to know, what makes you say yes to a project? Is there something specific you look for in a script or a director that, like, gets you on board? Well, you know what? I, does everybody feel this? I think when you read a script, don't you... Sometimes you go, oh, yes, oh, don't you sometimes? Mm -hmm. You go, I think I know, I know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So I love it when that happens. Now, funny enough, I've just done a series, um, um, a period drama set in India last year, which is coming here later this year. And, um, and I'm playing a posh woman in a grey wig. I mean, it's totally different from Mrs. Patmore. So that's brilliant. But when I read it, I swear to God, it was well written. It was India. I love India. And I'm going, why are they asking me? <laughs> and I mean, I'm genuinely saying that because, again, I can give you, a, you know, Diana Rigg, I, Penelope Wilton. I can give you a list of people that would be the obvious choice for this. I just couldn't figure out why they would ask me. But I'm thrilled because it's totally different. And actually, when you get to work, you start making it the same as you would do anything else and you try and make it real and and the job's the same but and I'm, I'm struggling now to know why I've gone down this track you've just said to me what makes you say yes well why I said yes to that was I was thrilled to be going to India thrilled that it was a big leading role thrilled that it was the opposite of my normal casting because I'm often cast as these little northern working-class women which I'm not by the way but I just happen to know how to do them so I've been stuck in that for years so at this age over 60 now they've suddenly given me it's been another kind of where did that come from but I think that just the thing of reading a script I think sometimes you know if you've got a, a proper connection don't you you think I think I know what to do with that or you see the jokes and you go, oh, I can do that. <laughs> or, or not, whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. But I'm not so grand that I can turn much down, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Not at all. My pleasure. I was going to ask, is there a particular type of project or role that's either your favorite or that you would just love to do next? In the future. In the future, yeah. Um, well, I think what I'd like to do, I'd, well, there's two things, actually. I'd like to do um, a contemporary role now, because I've done two back-to-back -back period dramas. 
and I would like to do something. I like doing different things. I do, you know, some actors are really, really good and successful at doing kind of one thing, and I really get off on the chance to do something where you can show a different side. So I do love comedy, but I love it when I like to make people cry too. I, I do. <laughs> if I can do both in one show, that's even better. <laughs> um, so I, there is a possibility, again, this is a great business we're in, about three weeks ago, uh, my agent in London said, oh, this very good um, independent company in London called Tiger Aspect, they do great comedy. They apparently they are going to be making an offer, August, September, um, a new comedy. Now, we have not read it, I've not seen it, and they haven't been in touch for three weeks. So I don't even know if that's going to happen. You know, you know how it is. You think, oh, I think I, I, think I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But if that were funny, and it's contemporary, and it's TV, and it's something slightly different, then that would be great. I'd love that. Yeah. I don't, I don't particularly want to repeat myself if I can help it. Yeah. Is there a uh, fellow actor or actress that you have on a wish list that you would love to work with? Oh, I love Anthony Hopkins. Uh. <laughs> oh my God, I love him so much. I did meet him, actually. I met him at Ealing. It was, it was very embarrassing uh, because I fell to pieces completely. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's wonderful. So I'd like, yes, yes. He knows now. He sent me a... <laughs> He totally knows, yeah. When it, Jim, Jim, who plays Mr. Carson, was working with him on something, and he made, he made a little sign, and he made Tony Hopkins hold it up, and it says, I love Mrs. Palmore. <laughs> Which I have in my phone. I was, he, said, he said, please don't put it on social media. <laughs> no, I won't do that. <laughs> um, do you know what I'd love to do, actually? Phyllis Logan, who plays um, Mrs. Hughes... She is one of the funniest people, and I, she is hilarious. I mean, to keep us occupied and amused when things were a bit boring, she had a couple of crazy alter egos that she could switch on. She won't do it for anybody else, and they are genius. I mean, I swear to God, they are genius, and people don't know how funny she is. So I'd love to do a comedy with her. I would, yeah. Yeah, with little Daisy thrown in because she's my other big bud. Yeah, yeah. Daisy, my girl. Thank you so much for being here. Not at all. Super fans. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about your um, background as a musician and if you had to pick one song to sing and perform, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, send in the clowns, it wouldn't be, no. <laughs> um... Well, I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, but that really wasn't... Well, actually, no, that was important. I was going to say, I didn't learn a huge amount of music there, but we did have a wonderful musical director who was a current West End MD called Tony Bowles, who was one of those people that, if you're lucky enough to have in your life when you're a youngster, he was special. He was a complete character... And we adored him, we worshipped him, really. Because, partly because he was working in the business, you know, and he was doing Jesus Christ Superstar at the time, the, the original production, you know. So, I don't know about you guys, but in our, in our, in our school, a lot of quite ancient, well, it wouldn't be the same probably, but we had, in those days, quite ancient teachers who hadn't been in the business for a long time, and they were 
not always quite in tune with what was happening, you know, but to get a proper actor in or, or a musical director or somebody or a director that was working currently, it was thrilling, you know. So he, he was very important because one of my other terrible um, auditions, um, he was doing um, a musical, it was a, it was a Shakespeare play that had been made into a rock musical. It was all the rage in the 70s, everyone was doing it. And it was probably, it was quite terrible. But anyway, he was auditioning people. And I went along for this 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, I remember, no Monday, Monday, I called it Black Monday, um, in Her Majesty's Theatre, huge theatre in the West End. And first time ever I've got a mic in my hand. I've never, never sung into a mic. And I decided to do day by day from God's spell. And so, and they said to me, don't forget to move. It's a musical, it's rock musical. Move when you sing. And I went, okay, okay. So actually, this is literally what I did. Terrified, terrified, awful. Whole black theater, me on my own, spotlight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. So I went, day by, day by, oh, Lord, thank you. <laughs> so it was bad, it was really bad. And um, it, was, it was a memorable day, I crashed my car on the way home. And I got a tax bill, I got a tax bill that I couldn't pay. So my lovely Tony Bowles called me in the evening and I, and I was so mortified because I loved him so much and I respected him so much. I said, oh Tony, I'm so sorry, I let you down, I'm so sorry. And he went, yes, 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 yes. He said, now, uh, do you want to be in Jesus Christ Superstar? And I said, what? He said, uh, well, we, we need a top soprano, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm an alto, I'm not a top soprano. Uh, yeah, I said, well, we don't have to bother auditioning. Uh, you start on Monday. <laughs> I went, and I was in that for 18 months. I mean, that was just... So thank God for him. So he got me into my first Western musical. Because I wouldn't have got in if I'd auditioned. There's no way. I could do the job, but I wouldn't have got the job. Because I wouldn't have been able to do the audition. So I was put into that. And then I... Then, as things go, it was 22 years before I was back in the West End doing another uh, musical, which was Mamma Mia. And again, that was just because I was the right sort. You know, they were looking for women in their 40s. A bit daft, that was me. I, could, I can sing ABBA, that, I can do that. But meanwhile, I was doing musicals around the reps, around the country, you know, because I'm not, I'm not hardly a triple threat, but, you know, there are things I can do. I can sing, I can't do opera, but I can sing rock. You know, I can do... Um, 40s kind of harmony stuff, you know, don't sit under the apple tree. That, that, the stuff I can do and my dancing, my, if my husband was here now, he'd say, yes, you always end up in the remedial dance class, which I do. But I've had to, I've had to learn to do it, you know, as best I can. I'm an actor who's, who can do a bit of that. But um, so, so it's come and it's gone, really. And once you're in the West End, I was in Mamma Mia for two years at the very beginning. And then um, there was a, there's a, a band in England called Madness and there was a musical around their music and because I was currently in that little gang you know then I went off and did that for six months and then I haven't done one since so that's the way it is <laughs> you know it's just and but I am working on a show now with a friend of mine here who's just written me it's called How the Hell Did I Get Here which is basically my story but it's meant to be our story because people will relate to it because it's not always been you know, easy or glamorous or anything else. Um, but this fantastic friend of mine called Mark Muller, who's a wonderful American songwriter, has written eight um, original songs for it. He was only supposed to write a couple, but he got carried away. <laughs> 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 
and they're amazing, but he's managed to, to write songs that are my voice. I, I don't mean just musically, but it's me speaking. It, it's, it's, we haven't done it yet. We'll see what happens when we do it. But we sort of we've tried it out. But, um, so I kind of dip in and out, basically, is the answer to that. Yeah. For one, maybe two more questions. <coughs> Hi. Hi. I'm just wondering if um, you can recall a piece of direction from a director or advice from another actor that really changed the way that you interpreted yes. something. Yes. And maybe carried it forward, something that you... Yes. Yeah. Yes, I can. Um, I w was in a theatre company in the late 70s called the Bubble Theatre in London. And what it is, is it's a, um, it's a big tent, um, but it's got a proper lighting board and everything else inside. So inside it feels like a proper theatre, but it was portable. So it's another one of my glamorous jobs. So it would go from dip into different parks through the summer. And it was fantastic because you didn't know what was gonna walk in, you know, <laughs> dogs, groups of people who didn't speak English. I mean, who knows what would. But this was a wonderful director, actually, and she taught me a lot. And, oh, there's, there's something else she taught me. I'll tell you this as well, because this is useful. But she said, um, if you are doing something where you are connecting with the audience, I don't mean in a play where you're connecting with another actor, but if you're actually addressing an audience, take them all in. Don't do this middle distance thing because people smell it. it they're not connect, you're not connecting with them. Literally take in every single person so that they feel included. And I think that's really good because you know when people are just, you know, mm -hmm. a bit fuzzy-eyed and not really, not really connecting with you. But I'll tell you one thing she, she told us, which was such a great thing. Um, we were doing, in that season, we were doing a cabaret and this was like what you said before about actors who feel safe being somebody else, but don't feel at all safe being themselves. And so we were there as ourselves. I sang um, Ain't No Sunshine and, you know, a number of different things. But basically it was being me and I was finding it really hard, as, as was everybody else, because we were all actors who were used to being a, a character, somebody else. And she said, well, here's, the, here's something that I want you to say to yourself before you come on, which will just give you a little grounded confidence that she'd, worked, she'd learned at the Royal Court in London, actually. And she said, it's just three things to say to yourself. And I do use this um, in real life as well. I am beautiful. Somebody loves me. And I've got a secret. Now, just hang on to that because that's a fantastic little combination of things. Because if you feel beautiful, then that's going to raise you up. Somebody loves me, just gives you that support. And I've got a secret, makes you kind of interesting. So that's, that's my gift to you tonight. <laughs> One more question. Do you want to end? I mean, that felt final. But do you want to end? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask for another one. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, it's been great. Thank, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We know you have big actor dreams, and we really want to help you. For more insider tips on the LA film and TV industry, 
go to ispeakla.com and subscribe today. And of course, look for us at all the regular places, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time.